0: this morning and so forth Uh, Romans 15 we're now down to verse number 8 so this next little section here verse 8 now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name and again he saith rejoice ye Gentiles with his people and again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may be, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now we kind of come here now into this closing remarks by Paul. Uh, to the book. And, and, and that really starts here in 15, verse 8, all the way through the end of chapter 16. So we have some things going on, but as we go through this, we want to see there, there, some, some really wonderful things that Paul is doing here as he begins to wrap up the entirety of the book of Romans as he is going to set up then the book of 1 Corinthians, and then, but yet then also here in the context that we've been studying over the last six or eight months or whatever here about the relationship between the weaker and the stronger believer. And what Paul is going to do here, and by the way, verse 8 to verse 12 is a very misunderstood uh, section in uh, one of probably the most misunderstood sections in the, uh, in, in the book here and what Paul and, and so I think it's critical that we kind of spend a little time go a little slower through some of this, just so that we can be very careful here to really kind of remember where we're at. We need to remember 15:8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. We need to remember the context that that verse sits in, okay? Because what happens is, is this again, this section gets it gets abused even amongst some Christian or grace believer uh, sections. And again, we have to remember what do we just get out and done talking about the weaker brother? Okay, verse fifteen, uh, chapter fifteen, verse one. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We've been dealing with this issue of what is the weak, what is the strong brother to do? He's to do what? Verse 7. Receive. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ, and so Paul, so Paul is, he, he then, in verse 8, There's there's a shift here, Then now he's going to quote a bunch of Old Testament passages, and he's going to talk about the Old Testament. And and again, it seems a little odd that we have this shift, but not if you remember where we're at in the context. What have we been doing since chapter 12, verse 1? Go back to chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. We've been talking about the, the principle and understanding the principle of that living sacrifice. goes back, take, draws us back to Romans 6 and so forth. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we've been talking about areas that as, as young believers, as laying in that foundation of Romans, as we're growing, we have no idea what service looks like. So Paul lays out these this these grouping in chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15 here of what service looks like. The attitude to have one with another. The attitude to have with the world, with the lost. The attitude to have with culture. The attitude to have with relationships with the government and so forth. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, what? We have no idea what the will of God is. He hasn't talked about the will of God here, any, but yet in 12 to 15, what is the will of God concerning you and your relationship with blank? Well, it's to have that attitude, really of 15-7, of having that receive one another as Christ, what, received you. Have that mentality that he had. So when you come into chapter 15, yes, Paul is going to shift here, in, in what he's talking about, but it's not really a shift. It's now going to, he's going he's to take the body of Christ and he's going to take us back into the earthly ministry of Christ and some Old Testament uh, passages, but he's taken us back there not to put us underneath all of that. Again, what does verse 4 say? For whatsoever things were written for are written aforetime were written for our what, learning, not obedience. So there's a shift here, but the shift isn't to say, okay, you guys are the only ministry that Christ ever did was his earthly ministry. Which by the way, the new Bibles change verse eight, and they make the, the new Bibles will say uh, where he says there. I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. They'll say a minister is is a minister of the circumcision. Well, was and is is different, past tense, present tense. Or, and even your new King James does this, or they'll say has become rather than was. See? So you've got some, you know, what are they doing? They're hiding the dispensational truth here that we've already learned. So Paul, he's shifting, but he's really not. And he's got a very unique reason for doing what he's doing here. And he's not simply changing the topic, rather by taking us back into the Old Testament to where we can learn about the character of God, the veracity of God, His integrity. We then begin, he's going to begin to demonstrate to us that what God said in the Old Testament, in the prophetic program, he's going to accomplish. So then guess what? The promises that he made to us, he's going to accomplish. Okay, so he's using, uh, here's the illustration, here's how we know the veracity of God, here's how we know the character of God, here's how... And you and I need to have the same confidence and assurance that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had when he made those promises to them. Okay? And and, and that's what he's doing. Again, in understanding the context, the weaker and the stronger, Paul is going to use the Old Testament now to solidify that in our thinking. And again, those who fail to understand the word rightly divided, they say, see, God in the Old Testament had the church, the body of Christ, in mind all the time. Because they read, they read Paul saying this to, as him saying what? We've always been there. We're not a mystery. We're not a secret. So when you read Israel, you're to think Gentiles, church, the body of Christ. And we've been through that in other passages that they use, especially here in Romans 9, 10, and 11. So what we need to begin to understand is, is the use of the Old Testament here in verse 8 to 12 has nothing to do with God all along teaching that the church, the body, was a part of the prophetic program. So then the question is, is we need to really understand then what is Paul trying to accomplish by taking us back into the prophetic program. And what he's doing is he's affirming for us what's happening here. He's affirming that the promises that God made, we too can have confidence that the promises that he made to us, he will fulfill because look at what he did with the prophetic program. Okay? And the verses that we're going to go back and look at Probably next time in in the Old Testament, lay all that out for us, and we'll, we'll see some of that. This this. In. So again, if God can be. By, by the way, look there at verse nine, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His what, His mercy. So here we. So first, Paul's using the Old Testament to affirm for us, so that we have confidence and assurance that what God promised to us, he will do, because what can we do? We can look at the, we can see what he did over here, okay? But then the second issue that Paul's laying out is the issue of mercy. The fact that God had already intended to be merciful to the Gentiles under the prophetic program, okay? So again, if he can be merciful to the Gentiles under Israel's kingdom program, What can he do today? Be merciful to us. And we've already seen that in Romans 9 and 10 and 11. He took the vessels fitted for wrath, and he turned them into vessels of mercy. And we've seen that. But again, if you don't rightly divide the the word, you think Paul just lumped us all together, and we're just one big, happy, cohesive thing here. Well, we're a cohesive uh, thing, but all under one program, and we're not. And that's, this is a very important point here because it, of the demonstration of how we're going to receive one another. 14.1, how does it start? 14.1, him that is weak in the faith, what? Receive ye. The bookend is verse 7 of 15.7. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, and I love that, to the glory of God. So there's going to be a glory of God component in all of this, okay? So then he come he was going to go back into the Old Testament to highlight this doctrine of receiving one another. Think about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, who is the stronger? In the Old Testament, Israel, his people. Who is the weaker? The Gentiles the ones cut off. So there's a, there's a, Israel is to be the head and not the tail. Who's the tail? The Gentiles. So in God's perspective in dealing with the history of time past, Israel, you're the stronger. Gentiles, you're the weaker. And in one day, Israel is going to do what? Receive the Gentiles. Okay, I'm trying to Keep it simple, stupid, okay? (laughs) All right? And that's literally what Paul's doing here. He's not changing gears. He's not bringing us under the doctrine of the prophetic program. Rather, he's going to emphasize this core doctrine of receiving one another. Look at verse 4 again. That's the hinge here in all of this. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have what? Hope. Now look at verse 13, the bookend. What's now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in what? See how hope, we got this bookend fit here from 4 to 13. So the issue in, 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 in in verse 7 or verse 8 to 12, here's the proper understanding of how God is dealing with us today. Because he is as faithful as he was to the past, he will be faithful to us the more so that we ought to be, what? Receiving one another. Okay? So the issue here is that issue of receiving one another. The, the issue here is not what everybody else out there who, again, you, if you don't understand the, right, the word rightly divided, you have you have every okay, every legitimate reason to say that he, Paul just put us back under Israel's program, except for what did Paul, that's not what Paul does, because we have Romans 9, 10, and 11 in our understanding of what is the status of Israel today before God. Cast away, fallen, diminished away. Okay? And we'll, we'll get into that. Now, let's get into verse 8 here a little bit. In verse 8 and 9. So, we're gonna go down through this as far as we can get here in, in the time but I don't want you to I want I want you to grasp this the what Paul's trying to accomplish here he's he's not shifting gears and okay an old new topic and we're back underneath and and we're the Gentiles that are going that, that are going to laud him if you look at verse 9. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And, he, and by the way, that's Psalms 18. And again, he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles. Where? With his people. Today, his people aren't rejoicing. His people have been what? Cast away. They've diminished away. They've been set aside. Their program's been interrupted. How do we know that? Romans 9, 10, and 11. See? Again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, (laughs) I mean, what's happening here? By the way, that's Psalms 117. Isaiah here saith, that's Isaiah 11. There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. All of that understanding of what these verses are talking about comes out of understanding verse number 8. What did he do in verse 8? Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. To do what? To confirm. See, that issue. The promises made unto the Father. God, now, has God made promises to us? Yes. But yet, what when it's not the same promises that He made back in the Old Testament. Is God true to the promises that He made to the Father's? Yes, therefore he will be true to the promises he made to us. Now, again, if God has made, think about this, God made promises to us. How do we walk? We walk by what? By faith, okay? Not sight. So we are dependent upon what God tells us. Israel walked by sight. They weren't dependent upon God telling them something. They were dependent upon what seeing it happen. That thing in Malachi three when he says, "You robbed me of store, uh, of tithes and offerings, and if you will just do what I ask you to do, I will rain down and fill everything up." They were looking for that. You and I, we don't we don't operate in the physical realm. We operate in the sight in the faith realm. So then, what we begin to do is we have to. We Witnesses, we witness the promises of God made to us, but we have to go to His Word to get the what? The confidence, the assurance, the hope. Okay? And that's what Paul's doing here. If God says, Receive the weaker, can you? Yes. Should you? Yes. He tells us why we need to do it. Why do we need to live for the benefit of the others? That's to bring that glory to God and to be who we are in Christ. So when you think about what Paul's going to do here, he's confirmed the promises made unto the Father. The earthly ministry of Christ, he's there to do quite a bit, a lot of things. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But I want you to see that what Paul is demonstrating to you and I, first of all, is that God is faithful. He is believable. You can trust him. Because what he said he's going to do, He does, and he's going to do for you and I. Come back with me to Hebrews 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And as we, again, kind of, well, Hebrews 6. Helps to get into Hebrews, doesn't it? Hebrews 6, verse 13. So he's going to, obviously Hebrews 6 isn't to us, but yet here is the character of God, here's the integrity of God, Here's what Paul is after. For when God, verse 13, Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Now, obviously, confirm the promises to the fathers. Who is the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when God made the promise to Abraham, we're going to go back there and look at it here in, in a minute. He couldn't swear by anybody greater than God, so what did he do? He swore by himself. Okay, that's why in in Genesis 17, when he confirms the covenant with Abraham, with the sign with that with that sign of circumcision, it's God putting Abraham to sleep. It's God laying out the the sacrifices and causing Abraham. And so it's God saying, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. And I'm making you allowing you to participate in it. This is his word. This is what he's doing. So what does he do here? Verse 14, saying, here's how he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiply, I will multiply thee. Actually, the quote comes out of Genesis 22, but here's what he's saying. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. What was the promise that God made to Abraham? You're going to have a boy. Eventually, what happened? Abraham had Isaac. He patiently endured. (laughs) I love that. Did he really? Not really. He went over with Hagar, tried to help out God. God said, that's the, no, 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 that bondwoman. she's not the one. You're going to have it with the right one, you know, not in your flesh. See? Verse 16, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. For men does what? Raise your right hand. I, you know, tell truth, whole truth, so help me, God. Boom. But God can't do that. There's nobody greater than God, so God's given His word here. Verse 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the what? Immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things. Now notice, He didn't just give him one. He gives him two, in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation, who hath fled for refuge to lay upon the, notice that, hope set before us. Verse 19, which hope we have. You see how hope and and God being faithful to his word, they are connected. God said, he'll do it. That's number one. That should have been enough. But that wasn't enough. So Abraham, I'm going to make an oath with you. That shedding of blood and that sacrifice. Every covenant is confirmed by the shedding of blood throughout the Old Testament. When 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 the law was given to Moses and he writes it out there, they have a Blood ceremony and the law sprinkled with blood. There, so he, go, I give it to you. Again, verse nineteen, which hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enter into the veil within the veil. This is the little flock, as they go out into that seventieth week of Daniel and those moments of tribulation. And what do they have? They have a hope. They believe that God is faithful. Why? Because he made us a promise. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's going to do it. And we have moments in time to show that he did do it. So God is faithful. He's believable. By the way, you're in Hebrews. Come over to chapter 11. Hebrews 11. The great hall here, Hebrews 11:8. 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned. Verse 11, Through faith also Sarah. Verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Well, wait a minute, Rick. He made the promise, right? Yeah, but by faith. See, that faith in what? God gave the promise. He's going to do it. By the way, what did God tell Abraham? You're going to die, and your seed is going to inherit that land. But, verse 13, having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out they might have uh, obtained to have opportunity to have received but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly you see there's an issue of faith verse 1 of chapter 11 now faith is a substance of things hoped for the evidence of things what how in the world did most did abraham see that out there by faith in the word of god now jacob he saw it. He sees that ladder ascending, descending, and doing all that, and he says, man, this is the ground right here. Oh, the terror of the Lord is going to be right here. So when you come back to Romans 15, the first issue that Paul's going to deal with here is that, hey, God's faithful. He's believable. He has these, he said it, that ought to be enough, but just be, or if it's not, he gave his word on it. And he's the God who cannot lie. Titus 1, God who promised, Titus 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Titus 1, 2. He can't lie. So then, if he promised to Israel to do, and we can see that, he promised to the Gentiles to do, and we can see that, then when it comes to you and I, the same thing's going to happen. So we should be receiving one another. Because we do it because we believe what he's going to do. 15.8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of Christ. For, I'm sorry, for the truth of God. To confirm the promises made unto the father so that first issue here the confirmation of the promises the god made the promise he said he'll do it he's doing he did it and 159 see the and we're going to connect these things that the gen that the gentiles might glorify god for his mercy so the two items he's faithful and he's Merciful. then he says as it is written now we're going to back up the statements by going to the Old Testament and showing you this okay? see how what Paul's doing here? Mercy the Old Testament scriptures highlight that mercy is also an issue with God. He is a merciful God. He's already told, he's told Israel, to whom I'll be merciful, I'll be merciful, and to whom I won't, I won't. He has that prerogative. And the mercy, he's going to be merciful to the Gentiles, too, as a part of the Old Testament program. I think sometimes we lose that in our understanding of the prophetic program, because we concentrate on who? Israel, Israel, Israel. But yet, what is the... Gentile salvation in the Old Testament is always on the table. It just has to go how God says it's got to go, which is through the nation of Israel. See? But why is that? Because of these promises he made to who? To the fathers. The mercy of God is connected to the promises of God, and that's what that's what Paul's going to hone in on here in these verses. He's confirming the promises made unto the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made promises, and in those promises, there's a component of mercy going to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles receiving mercy is a part of the deal. I'm trying to say this like eight different ways. Can you tell? <laughs> okay? Because some, you know, you're hard headed, and I am too, and we got to work that out in there. So Paul, in using the Old Testament. Look, Israel operated under a covenant contractual agreement relationship. Today, we don't. Today we operate under grace and we walk by faith and it's a it's a free gift relationship. So then when we go back and if it can if it's written in the Old Testament about Gentiles receiving mercy and being received by Israel, then more so for you and I today to be receiving the weaker as well. Okay? Now, can we'll pray and go on? And we'll go have some coffee and eat some oranges and tangelos, right? <laughs> ah, thanks. Nice try. He confirmed the promises made unto who? The fathers. And that's going to be critical here. So let's go back to Genesis 12. He, with the fathers, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the fathers, the patriarchs. With Abraham, he lays out the details of the covenant, and he affirms them to Abraham. Isaac, he just affirms it with him, okay? Confirms it to Isaac, not Ishmael. But with Jacob, not only does he confirm the covenant, the promises with Jacob, but he then adds to it with Jacob. Okay, And that's that issue where Jacob wrestles with God and he sees the ladder and the angels ascending and descending and the territory. Abraham, what are you to do? You're to get out and you're to go... Which way are you going to go, Lot? You go that way, I'm going this way. Pick it out. Let's get there. Here are the details. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, and I emphasize the had, because this information goes back into chapter 10, and eleven, actually really it's in chapter ten, but he goes back into he had already begun to do this with Abraham while Nimrod and the guys are building the city and they're rejecting and they're they're moving he had past tense it's it, he's he's already got the plan in motion, even though the world the adversary is rejecting he had said, "Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land." that I will show thee. Well, what is Genesis 10? You look back there to Genesis 10 real quick. Come on, come on. Verse 5, But these were the isles of the Gentiles, divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. Verse 32, These were the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations, and by their, these were the nations, divided in the earth. You see that issue, verse 31, their families, their tongues, their lands. What did he just tell Abraham to do? Get out of your family, man. Get out of the family land, the homeland, the motherland. Get away from that. you got to get out. What is he doing? He's pulling him out of those divisions of Genesis 10. Get out of there. Verse 2, 12-2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Again, all the families of the earth. What's that a reference to? Chapter 10. All, the, all those Gentile nations out there. But what I want you to see here is, first of all, had, so past tense. This isn't anything um, new in that, okay, it's so the next thing after Tower of Babel. This is happening while he's doing the Tower of Babel. But then notice in verse 2, I will make thee a what? A great nation. And that, I think, is where we kind of stub our big toes sometimes. Great nation. Israel, he's going to make them a great nation, but not at the exclusion of the other nations. Israel was set apart to be whose nation? God's nation. Yet, the other nations were great as well in the history of the world. You think about Babylon. That is a great nation. Powerful, mighty. Think about Syria when they take the Assyrians. Think about Egypt. Would well, they come out of as a great people, but Egypt's a what? A great nation in the land. Nimrod, Babylon, great nation. So great not into the exclusion of other nations, but great in what? You're mine. You're my people. So God doesn't isolate Israel from the other nations. Rather, he sets them apart so they could be the, the so they could function on behalf of the other nations. Come, come over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm I, I, I make it chapter 4. I think sometimes that we miss this in our our limited, actually, unfortunately, our limited understanding of Israel is that we we, we, we make them to be, yes, they are the head. They're not the tail. But in whose eyes God's eyes, the promise that He makes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that what are you going to be? You're going to be a great people. You're going to be the head, not the tail. You're going to be the lending lender, not the lendee. You're going to be the one leading. Why? Because they're, they're such wonderful people? No, they're sons of Adam. That's who they are. They're sinners like everybody else. But what is He doing with them? See? So they're a great nation in that have you ever wondered why he told them you have to eat certain food, and can't eat other food? It is not for health. I'm sorry. Take all the health nut stuff you want and pitch it out the window when you get into that nonsense. It is not for health. Why does he tell them you, you, you have to wear, uh, you can't wear blended clothing? It isn't because one itches and one doesn't. and one do- it, It's because he wanted them to be set apart from who? The nations out there. Why couldn't they marry outside the land? Because you're not that, you're this. You're not those people, you're this. Could you imagine? I mean, just think about this. I I think about the the Orthodox guys, and they wear the cap, and they got the curls. Don't you look at them when you see them? Why? Because they're a little odd looking. What do you think the Jews are supposed to be? In the Old Testament now, not today, in the Old Testament. They're supposed to be a little odd-looking. Why? Because they're God's people. See? And what's that to do? That's to draw the Gentile to come and say, why are you so odd-looking? What's wrong with you? And then the, Israel is able to then tell them, expound to them, really, Deuteronomy 4 here. That will then result in the Gentiles being what? Blessed. Okay? Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 4, really the whole passage, but just for the sake of you listening to me read and the clock, verse 6, verse 5. Well, verse, yeah, verse 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments. God teaches them this through Moses. Moses is writing. Verse 1, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. For to do them, that ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Verse 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should, go, you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it. Keep, therefore, and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the who? The nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Why would the Gentiles ever look at Israel and say they are a wise and understanding people? Because what do they hear coming from Israel? The statutes and the judgments, they hear the word of God. Verse 7, For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them? as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon for Him. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I have set before you this day? Do you know who's saying verse 7 and 8? The Gentile nations. Now Moses is saying it to them, writing it, but what do the Gentiles do? Verse, four, verse 6, they hear all these statutes and say... Surely. So the Gentiles, nations, they know. They say, because of the presence and the the power of God's word, they say seven and eight to you. Why do they say seven and eight to you, though? Six, seven, and eight. Why do they say this? Because they've come to understand that Israel is what? Being used by God to benefit them. Because what are they saying? What is, Abraham, what is the promises made to Abraham? I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. And, and thee shall be a blessing to who? All the nations, all the families of the earth. Go back to Genesis 12. So the great nation here and the promise made to Abraham... He's going to raise up a nation for the benefit, the spiritual benefit, of who? Everybody, all the Gentiles. Verse 3, Genesis 12, 12, 3. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Look at what he's doing here. So through Abraham through the promise made to Abraham through his seed line what's the end result down there what's the goal down there blessing of who all the nations all the families of the earth chapter 10 so all along in the old testament in the prophetic scripture what's been the goal Israel is God's people and through Israel flow the what the blessings now, we know the story. Israel failed, and they dropped the ball, and sin gets in the way and corrupts it. I understand that, but that's not God's problem. That's not why Paul brings it. Paul says, listen, look at what he was said he's going to do. <laughs> and guess what? He's going to do it. Come over to chapter 22 of Genesis. Genesis 22. Genesis 22. This is 41. Years after Genesis 15, which is the promise made to uh, Abraham about Isaac and how that was all going to work, and Isaac believed God, and his, I'm, I'm sorry, Abraham believed God, and his faith was counted for righteousness. Chapter 22, you have him take Isaac up on the mountain, verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, Now watch. By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. There's that immutability thing. For because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Notice that. That confirmation. By the way, he's going to then confirm the covenant with Isaac. After Isaac is born, he'll do the same thing. And in each one, you know what he says? All the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So the underlining element here, is this issue of the benefit is for everybody, but you're my go-between. You're my nation. My, you're Israel, you're my nation, and I'm going to funnel the blessings through you. And when I funnel those blessings through you, go back to verse chapter 15 of Romans, where you should have stuck something in there. You know what I'm going to do, verse 9? I'm going to have mercy on the Gentiles. And my mercy is going to be funneled through you guys. When Israel is in her proper position, what can happen? The blessings can fall out on to the Gentiles. Now, again, we understand it's wonderful having a completed Bible and therefore an understanding of how to read it and look at it, because what can we do? We can look back and see that Israel, they are what? Just sinners, you know, I, I think about that. You have to remember that, yeah, they're God's people, but they weren't. They were still sons of Adam, <laughs> and you have to remember that. But yet, what is He going to do? He's going to. The mercy is to go down into the benefit of the Gentile, the families of. So the promises of God here, fifteen eight, that He confirmed the promises. I mean, you think about that. He just, you're in Romans, come back to chapter 9. We've already seen this in our study. That's why chapter 9, 10, and 11 is here. Because you have to understand, you're not Israel. You're not spiritual Israel. You're not replacement Israel. You're not Israel. You are who? Body of Christ, church the body. That's who you are. You're something different. You're a new man. You're not that guy. You're this guy. Again, the new Bibles, they change up on on 15.8, again, to hide the dispensational nature that's laid out in God's Word. Look at chapter 9, look at verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Right? That's who they are. Then he says, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promise, whose are the fathers and of whom as was concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Wait a minute. That's real clear what the earthly ministry of Christ and who he was there to, right? What's he saying? in Matthew 10? Don't you go unto them Gentiles. But yet in John three sixteen he says what? For God so loved the, who? the world. How can that be? How can you not go to the Gentiles and then save the world? Well, will one day he do that? In that moment? No. We're, not, we're In the moment, I'm here to confirm the promises. I'm here to save his people. Why? Because Israel is in complete and total apostasy. When Israel is right, then the flow of the blessings can go with the result of, I'm going to save the world. Okay, you follow that. And that's what Paul's doing here. Christ in the past, what was he here for? He's confirming the promises. He's here for his people. He didn't walk down the street looking at a Gentile going, come on over here, i got to talk to you. He didn't do that at all. Why? He's He came to, to save his people, Matthew 1. I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, that's what he's there for. He didn't come in here to... Do a yabba dabba do for everybody. He came in here to fix. He he came in to fix the plumbing, if you will. We had the plumber guy come out to the house and redo. I uh, had to do a checkup and for the water heater. And we're talking and everything. And he and I said, well, I need that that uh, camera that goes down in the pipes and looks. I want to see what's going on down there, you know. And he's like, well, that's another department. Got to make that. You know, and it's a couple hundred dollars for them. I'm like, really? I'll go get my own and. <laughs> put it on a race car and send it on down but the thing is is what do you, he's here to fix the plumbing the plumbing's bad why because through the pl- through that channel was the blow of, and they're not there yet they're not ready yet they're an apostasy 15:8 the mercy and the and that the gent verse 9 and the gentiles might glorify god for his mercy The mercy is connected to the promises that God made. He confirmed them. The ultimate reality of the Gentile under the prophetic program, the ultimate prophetic hope of the Gentile, was right there. But it was in who? In Israel. Now, that doesn't come to fruition, to fulfillment, until the millennial kingdom. 15.9 Okay. Fifteen nine is not about the di- today, the age of grace. Where do we get our hope? Not in the millennial kingdom, but in that wonderful little event, just a little thing called the rapture, and the and the looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, of of uh, Jesus Christ our Savior. Okay. So you did all of so all the nation. So, did all the nations have hope in the Old Testament? The answer is yes. Come back to Ephesians 2. Come over to Ephesians 2. They had a what, though? What did Genesis 12, 3 say? You have a hope, but it's a covenant hope. It isn't a reality hope. It's here's what I'm, I'm going to do with you. Because you got Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, right? What do they say about time past? Well, Ephesians 2.11, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye have, I'm sorry, that at that time you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Whoa. That's not good, is it? But yet, what did John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave himself, he's going to save it. So wait a minute, how can that back there be? See? So then people start saying what? Well, there's a contradiction in the Bible. You just brought up a contradiction, Rick. Look at that. But not if you understand right division. There's a dispensational argument. They have no hope. But yet, we read Genesis 12, Genesis 22, other path that they do. So what's going on? Again, Matthew 10, don't go to the Gentiles. God, by covenant, contract, okay, he could never give Gentiles hope without who? Israel. Israel, he could never give a Gentile nation hope independent of Israel. Why? Because the contract in Genesis 12 says that in you, I'll bless them and bless you, I'll curse them, and in thee, all the nations are going to be blessed. If all the nations are going to be blessed, hope, who's got to be there? Abraham's seed, ultimately Israel. So he couldn't go over to Nebuchadnezzar and say, I'm going to give you hope. He didn't say that to Nebuchadnezzar anyway, he said, You're going to be my rod. <laughs> and you're going to whack them, and whack them good, whack them all. See, so 2.12 is right. Ephesians 2.12. They didn't have hope outside of who? Israel. But Israel wasn't in place. Israel isn't there. Israel's operating. I I think the greatest statement of unbelief outside of telling Moses that we can do whatever we want, whatever the Lord says we'll do it, Exodus 17 there, 19 there, the greatest statement of unbelief was when they wanted Saul... Rather than David. They wanted a king. God says, I'll give you a king when you're ready for a king. They go, No, we want it now. Little babies pitching fits. So God goes, okay, go ahead. I'll give you what you want. That's great unfaith. That's, that's faithlessness. If they'd have just listened and waited, it'd have been a little different in the storyline. God, by covenant, contractually. So these aren't conflicting issues here. The issue in Genesis is, here's the contract. The issue in Matthew 10 is, we're not here to deal with the Gentiles, we're here to deal with the nation of Israel and get them going, little flocks set up. The issue in John 3.16 is out in the millennial kingdom out there, I will save the world. But through who? Through Israel. Now come back to... Romans 15. Again, in time past, God could not deal with the Gentile independent, the Gentile nations independent of the nation of Israel. Now that's not the condition of Israel today, thank goodness, because again, Romans 11 has said what? What is the condition of Israel today? Cast away? Fallen? Diminished? So the only way that God can deal with the Gentile nations the Gentiles today, is to be able to deal with us outside of the contractual agreement. He he gave two immutable things there. He didn't break his word with Israel. See? He just stepped outside and said, I'm going to do this by changing Israel's status over here. Again, Romans 11, folks, we've been through this. Verse 15. Romans 15. Watch verse 9, 15, 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, again, not fulfilling it, Paul's going to quote passages here that point to the mercy that God prophesied, uh, that he was going to promise, prophetically promised to the nations out there. And it's, and it's because of Israel being the head in the position of that crowning jewel he says, it is written. So the mercy we're going to read about is prophetic mercy, not dispensation of grace mercy. Okay? As it is written. Now, he quotes Psalms 18. So let's run back there quickly to Psalms 18. And we're going to investigate this. Uh, we'll have to next time a little bit more on this mercy. But we'll see. just see the quote here, Psalms 18. Again, in Romans 15... For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles trust. There's this constant theme in the prophetic scripture about mercy going to the Gentiles, but going to them how? Israel being proper. Being in the rightful place contractually, okay, Israel did not hold up to their end of the bargain, their end of the of the contract. You know what happens when that happens? Usually the contract gets written ripped up, doesn't it? And God says, okay, you're not holding up. I'm gonna go do this, and we're gonna come back and we'll fix this. Okay, Psalms 18. You got it. Psalms 18, verse 49. Therefore will I give thanks unto the Lord, o, uh, unto Thee, O Lord among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Notice the I, the, heathen, the Gentiles. This is not the Gentiles confessing this. This is Israel confessing this. Israel, they should have been confessing him among the heathen all the time. But they weren't. They didn't do it. They made the name of the Lord. Uh, uh, I just lost how that verse said it. So, therefore will I, Israel, give thanks unto thee, God, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praise unto thy name, the Lord. That's what they should have been doing, but they weren't. Verse 48, he delivereth me from mine enemies, yea, thou lifteth me up above Those that rise up against me, thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praise unto the Lord. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forever. When does that happen, by the way, prophetically? Millennial kingdom. In the reign of the Lord, Israel is going to say, Praise to the Lord. Why? Because He's out there amongst the Gentiles now. He's out there doing. They're going to sing. They're going to laud Him. Why? Because the Gentiles are being blessed as well. Come over to chapter 86 of Psalms. Israel should have been singing among the Gentiles. They should have been bringing The the blessings to the Gentiles. But they didn't do that. But out in that millennial kingdom, what are they going to be doing? Matthew 28, they're going to be going out amongst the nations, doing their job, and they're going to come in. Those nations are going to come in. Ezekiel 36 and following down there says that they'll come in and Israel's going to go to the Lord and say, hey, what you did for us, do it for them. You gave us a new heart. You wrote your laws in our hearts. Give them a new heart. Give them the laws. Write it in And that believing Gentile nation. What do they receive? Genesis 12, 3, they receive the blessings. But where? Millennial kingdom. But it's going to happen. Chapter 86, Psalms 86, verse 9. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before me, before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. They're going to come. Millennial kingdom reigned. And what are they going to do? They're going to glorify. The nation's going to do that. Now, by the way, did the Gentiles ever come to Israel and glorify God in the Old Testament? Yes. What did Queen Asheba say to King Solomon? She said the the half wasn't told. We have a song about that. You see, it's been pictured under David and Solomon. But the reality is out there in the future. Come over to uh, back to Psalm 67. We're running these real quick. We'll again Psalm 67. Psalm 67, verse 1 God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That they may, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all. All nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. That's millennial kingdom. That's a a direct fulfillment of of Genesis 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Where Israel is in her place proper. The Gentiles are coming through Israel and singing and bringing praises and blessings. Psalms 117. God's ultimate program is to establish that literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. And that's going to include the Gentiles. And they will equally participate in the glorification of the Lord. Because they're in their contractual, proper positions. Psalms 117. Well, just two verses. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Very clear. So when you come back to Romans 15, when we begin this little section here, Paul is using the Old Testament not to teach that that's us back there fulfilling it and doing, okay? He isn't teaching that God had us in mind all along, but rather that God is worthy to be believed because he said he's going to do something through his people, and that is going to involve the Gentiles having mercy. And he's going to do it and he's going to fulfill it and he's going to he said it that should be enough but just in case he wrote it down for you and here it is so you and I as body of Christ what can we know that he's going to do what he said he's going to do for us in our promises that's why Ephesians 1 verse 14 says what it says talking about the seal He's of the Holy Spirit, he's the, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. How do, what's, what is the guarantee that he's going to come back and get us? The presence, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But you see, he's got to tell you that because in the moments of life, we tend to forget that, don't we? We tend to forget that we're okay, we're good to go. Why? Because we have the spirit. We 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 got all these promises and we tend to drift back into that old program and he's like, "No, no, 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 no. Your earnest of inheritance of the the down payment, the guarantee is that you have his, the Holy Spirit." Okay? Now, we're going to look times up. We're going to go back into 15, 9, 10, 11, 12, run that stuff about the, the uh, mercy in the Old Testament a little bit more for you. I just want you to see Paul is, yes, he's shifting gears a little bit in that he brings up the Old Testament and the earthly ministry of Christ. But he's still honed in on that receiving doctrine because one day Israel is going to have to receive the Gentiles. And the only way to do that is, is, to, is to have a proper functioning of the faith the doctrine. So then you and I today, who have an understanding of the doctrine, what are we going to do? We're going to receive the weaker. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the patience of folks to look into these things, to learn, to see what you're doing with us today, that we could live by that. We can rejoice in it and give you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray.